Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Adele Waldman. Thanks. Thank you, CJ. Thanks, everyone, for coming. Um, wow, CJ's clearly taller than I am. Um, so I'm, I'm going to read briefly because I'm really excited to talk to Mark Webb after. So I'm going to just be quick, but um, a few words about my book. The Love Affairs of Nathaniel P. is a novel about a guy named Nate, and he's a writer, and he lives in Brooklyn, and the book is about his dating life. Um, he's, I guess some people in here probably read it. He's, he's an all right guy. Um, a lot of people have criticisms of him that are understandable. I'll talk more about those later. Um, the section I'm going to read though is about his early years growing up in the suburbs. It's before he's become the way he is when we meet him in the book, when he's a sort of freelance writer in Brooklyn, doing kind of well professionally and dating frequently. Um, All you need to know is that in the first chapter of the book, he's run into an ex-girlfriend of his on the streets of Brooklyn. The encounter doesn't go very well. It ends with her calling him an asshole and storming off. And this is chapter two. Nate had not always been the kind of guy women call an asshole. Only recently had he been popular enough to inspire such ill will. Growing up, he had been considered nice. He was also a wonderkind of advanced placement classes, a star debater, and a fledgling songwriter whose extra credit homage to Madonna for Math Appreciation Week, like a cosine solved for the very first time, (laughs) had, unfortunately, been broadcast to the entire upper school. Despite playing on the varsity soccer and baseball team since 10th grade, granted, his was a Jewish day school, Nate never quite achieved the reputation of an athlete. He didn't repel girls, exactly. They sought him out for help with bio or calculus, even for advice about their personal problems. They flirted with him when they wanted an ego boost, and then they told him about their crushes on Todd or Mike or Scott. He wasn't much to look at back then. Dark-haired and skinny, he had a pale, sunken chest that he felt made him look cowardly, as if he were perpetually shrinking back. Though he wasn't painfully short, he wasn't tall, either. His hands, eyebrows, nose, and Adam's apple appeared to have been intended for a much larger person. This caused him to hold out hope, even as high school progressed, that he might spring up another couple inches, into the five-foot double digits. In the meantime, though, these attributes didn't add much to his existing stock of personal charms. Todd and Mike and Scott were Nate's soccer and baseball teammates. Scott was the most popular guy in their class. He was tall and broad-shouldered and had that combination of crudeness and confidence that rendered intelligence not only irrelevant, but slightly ridiculous. A peculiar, if not entirely unamusing talent, like the ability to ride a unicycle. Todd and Mike and Scott were not exactly Nate's friends, at least not on terms of equality. But they thought he was funny. They also relied on him for help with calculus. Todd and Mike did anyway. Scott never made it past trigonometry. Nate went to their parties. Nate got drunk. Jokes were made about how funny it was that Nate, barred of the math department with the 4.0 GPA, was drunk. 
Meanwhile, Nate pined for girls like Amy Perelman, the stacked blonde siren of their class, whose bashfully averted eyes and modest smile were nicely offset by her clingy sweaters and ass-hugging jeans. Naturally, Amy went out with, with Scott, although one day she confided to Nate that she was worried about their future. I mean, what will become of him? Like, if his dad stores, liquidated designer goods, don't keep doing well? My dad says they are, like, over-leveraged. But Scott can barely read. I mean, he can read, just not like whole books. <laughs> but I can't see him doing well in college and getting a regular job. It just wouldn't be him, you know? In retrospect, it wasn't surprising that Amy Perelman, who was not actually stupid but only affected stupidity in her speech because that was the fashion, eventually ditched Scott and got an MBA for Morton. <laughs> At the time, however, Nate had, somewhat to his surprise, come to Scott's defense. He's a good guy, though, and he really likes you. Amy looked thoughtful, but not quite convinced. I guess. Nate did have one admirer during high school. Frizzy-haired Michelle Goldstein. It wasn't that Michelle wasn't pretty. He'd been interested in girls who looked worse, anyway. But there was something painfully self-conscious about her. While it should have been refreshing to see someone at their school engrossed in Mary Wollstonecraft's A Vindication of the Rights of Women, Michelle's embrace of culture seemed a bit affected. She had an inexplicable fondness for the phrase pas de deux, which Nate had once, frighteningly enough, overheard her use in reference to her relationship with him. Still, at moments, he felt real affection for Michelle. One spring night, it must have been after a school play or concert, they sat together for hours on a bench outside the upper school, gazing down a grassy hill toward the dark expanse of the athletic fields. Michelle spoke intelligently, touchingly, about the music she liked, moody female singer-songwriters with socially progressive lyrics, and of her intention to live in New York one day, to go off into the Strand, a huge used bookstore downtown, she explained. Nate wasn't sure if he'd even been to a used bookstore. There weren't any in their suburb, he didn't think. You should go to New York sometime, Michelle said. I've been. We didn't go anyplace like that. From his family's weekend in New York, Nate had photos taken by his dad of him and his mother huddled together on the observation deck of the Empire State Building. They wore newly purchased ponchos and smiled wanly while a cold drizzle fell on their heads. Michelle smiled sympathetically. In the light that spilled over from the parking lot, Nate thought Michelle's freckles and straw-colored hair were cute. He nearly reached out across the bench and touched her, her hand to her thigh. It wasn't even about sex. Nate's life had been somewhat short on friendship, real friendship, distinct from the sort of conditional alliance he had with Scott and company. Um, sitting on the bench with Michelle, Nate felt as if the two of them shared something, some nebulous, slightly melancholic sensitivity that made them different from their classmates. But at school on Monday, Michelle seemed to have reverted back to her other self. I can't believe you got an A on that test, she said after calculus. What a coup d'etat. <laughs> she gave a little wave as she walked away. Ciao, Shuri. Coup, Nate wanted to shout. You mean just plain coup. <laughs> Yet he and Michelle were constantly lumped together and treated as a couple. Scott repeatedly asked him if her cooter smelled like mothballs because of all the vintage clothes she wore. Michelle's ambiguous social status, neither cool nor uncool, apparently made her his female equivalent. They even went to senior prom together. Nate had been working up the nerve to ask a pretty sophomore, and he felt both resentment and relief when Michelle's asking him foreclosed that possibility. On prom night, he thought Michelle might have been willing to have sex, but he didn't really try, although they made out. 
Well, more than made out, actually. He had a brief opportunity to assess Scott's hypothesis vis-a-vis the bouquet of her female parts. But Nate didn't push, because at that particular moment in his life, he didn't want to get entangled with a girl who was slightly repulsive to him. (laughs) Nor could he imagine sleeping with Michelle and then blowing her off, the way that Todd or Mike might have. Although not Scott, who for all his crudity was sensitive and unwavering in his devotion to Amy. But there was something that rubbed Nate wrong about Todd and Mike's attitude toward girls, their implicit belief that whatever befell a foolish or unattractive one was her just desserts. Empathy they reserved for the best-looking girls. Amy Perelman's most minor setbacks, a B-plus or a mild cold, elicited coups of grave concern. But by prom, Nate had largely begun to pin his erotic hopes on college, where he imagined even girls who looked like Amy Perelman would be smart and, more important, mature, a word he had lately begun to interpret as willing to have sex with him. (laughs) If he were to list the biggest disappointments of his life, freshman year of college would be near the top, right behind the realization, much later, that even something as seemingly sublime as a blowjob his penis in a woman's mouth, could be boring, even slightly unpleasant, under the wrong circumstances, or performed inexpertly. (laughs) And I think I'm going to leave it there with this (laughs) cliffhanger of these bad blowjobs, which do come up later in the book. (laughs) Um, Thank you, Adele. That was awesome. Love the book. Um, so now we're going to have Adele in conversation with Mark Webb. Um, he's a film director you might have heard of. Um, he made his debut with the two-time Globe, uh, Golden Globe-nominated 500 Days of Summer and most recently directed The Amazing Spider-Man 2 after helming the critically acclaimed The Amazing Spider-Man. I'm Mark Webb. <laughs> Blowjobs. <laughs> what a great way to segue. I feel like it's always a good segue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to say, I'm, I don't know, if, oh, is this working? Does this sound okay? Yep. Okay. Um, so I was thrilled that Mark, who I'd only met on Twitter, if that counts as meeting, <laughs> yeah. agreed to do this because I, I think it's. I I saw 500 Days of Summer when I had f- was early on in writing this novel, and I was fascinated with the movie because it's a movie that's about modern relationships, and there are no car chases, there are no terrorists, there's nothing that doesn't happen in the course of ordinary life, and that's was what I was trying to do with the novel that then didn't only existed in part, but I, that I imagined, and. Um, I, I love the movie, and I'm thrilled that Mark agreed to. Well, that's very sweet. It's uh, I, I loved your book. Let's, I'm not going to shower praise on you because I think, you know, 500 Days of Summer was it's you know it's a it's a, a movie that we cared a lot about. Um, but what you get to delve into in a novel, I mean, you just get into a lot more nuance, and and it can be more provocative. And um, it's gone. It's long gone. It's never coming back. Oh well. Uh, and uh, so it was. Uh, I, I followed her on Twitter and she followed me back. I was like, this is so cool. <laughs> Which is nuts Look because I have, phone. I'm like such an amateur on Twitter. I have like 10 followers. He has like a million. I, 
<laughs> I'm exaggerating only slightly, but mm-hmm. but like he's a big deal. Twitter's uh, a whole thing. Like there are people who are really good at Twitter, aren't there? That's not, not a real novel thing to say, but uh, I am not particularly one of them. I think people there's a bunch of Spider-Man fans who who follow me, waiting for some news mm-hmm. that they'll never get. <laughs> right, right. When really I just want to, you know, talk about recipes and <laughs> anyway. Um, so. Um. Chatting about relationships. Okay, so one of the things, so Mark said to me when we were having a conversation on Twitter and direct messages, he said he enjoyed the book, but he particularly enjoyed the conversations he had about the book. And we talked a little bit mm-hmm. about, and he said they were contentious, but we didn't really go into the substance of these conversations yeah. until... Um, well, I, yeah, the, the book had come to me through uh, a friend of mine who is a, who is a writer, and um, and he's like, dude, you got to check out this book because it's kind of amazing, and and uh, it really gets inside of uh, the uh, um, you know inside a guy's head, but it was written by a woman, and you know, male authors have been doing that for you know forever, uh, so but it was he he found this really profound and interesting, and then uh, I found out like everybody every guy I had talked to who's um, within a certain age bracket seemed to have read this book, and there was a lot of different varying accounts of it, and, and it was it was a really great sort of Rorschach test of of what people felt about Nathan. I think a lot, a lot of people feel sort of harrowing, uh, like the, my friend said, um, he didn't feel like the, the book was he was reading the book. He felt like the book was reading him, which really <laughs> <laughs> made me sad. Right, <laughs> but. Uh, but there are, I think, there are pockets of real, real truth, um, and uh, uh, sometimes that 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 made us all curious how you could do that. Right? Are you a witch? <laughs> well, I have to say, um, no. Uh, um, but the, I mean, thank you. And one of the things I tend to get asked is, like, did you? Did you res- did you interview men for the book? Like, what was your research? And I have to say, with no offense to all the lovely men here in in the room, that I did not I did not interview men for the book because I felt like the kinds of questions that I wanted to explore were questions like why why did you start dating this woman? You seemed really into it and into her for a while, and then you just lost interest. But nothing happened. Like nothing really triggered it. I like I knew these guys. I have, I have older brothers. I dated men. I married a man. I feel like if you ask a guy why, his answer would be like, I don't know. And sometimes it really pained. I don't know. Like I like feel really bad and and unsure. I so I feel like asking wasn't the way to go because the questions I wanted to explore they're they're not ones with easy answers. And what my method was to take sort of what I thought was stereotypically male behavior. Like that, which um, th- that dynamic I described of starting something with enthusiasm and then it seeming to wane as the relationship gets more serious, or just little things like having a really good second date with a person and then not calling for a while. These are just stereotypically male things, and, and it's not to say that the men are the only ones who are difficult to date or do fucked up and and uh, but in the book that's true (laughs) right Um, but but I thought I would just take these external behaviors and try to come up with a rationale for why Nate would behave this way that I thought was fair to him that that wasn't like because he's a monster who wakes up in the morning thinking how can I fuck with women's heads today but 
and so for me the like I learned through the book like I there's I didn't know all this before I started writing it it was a process of trying to come up with a plausible rationale something that's the ring true that sounded right it didn't sound like me Adele talking but sounded like a guy talking and then cutting all the rest it, and also it took me five years to write a really short book so it wasn't it wasn't very easy <laughs> um there's a there's a, I think it was something we talked we were talking about earlier there is a there seems to be a lack of uh coded language like everybody has different rules for relationships and 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 um different expectations and certainly in 500 days of summer that was a big problem is people you know uh what what tom expected from summer versus what she expected of him uh what the culture has taught us by watching you know you know mainstream romantic comedies or whatever reading certain books uh we're coached into believing into certain things which constantly fail us and and to what, what I what I loved about the book is that there was this, I mean, you're, people are off. I mean, it's it's so like back in the 19th century, there seemed to be a more coded, uh, specific way of dealing with people of how people would evolve into relationships, and and um, now it's like a it's the wild west. Right, right. I mean, I think the part of the difficulty with dating is that we we don't have an agreed upon code for how to behave, and so and I feel like this comes up when I talk to people about the book of, of sort of isolating what does Nate do wrong, they, I get such a range of answers. Some people, a small percentage, honestly, would say nothing. Like, he's great. We should all <laughs> emulate him. But there are, there are some, I have to say. <laughs> um, and then, a few. Um, and then, but then versus, people feel like there's, there's something wrong with Nate. But talking about what is really enlightening because it's it's not they don't necessarily think what i think and 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 i think that we we all sort of feel like there's something missing that we want a world in which people behave more considerately but we don't have some agreed upon formula for how to achieve that or what that mm-hmm. would look like like is like what just questions like what do you owe someone say if you have two dates with them and then you're not interested in a third do you need to then call the person or write them and, and break it off? Or is that presumptuous? And it's like the what Twitter is for. Twitter is for specifically <laughs> that event. Yeah, so we can all just <laughs> right? agree to like yeah, make just Twitter. Tweet. Yeah, just um, tweet. It is. It's hard. Yeah. It's difficult. And in like in, in people... Um, Without intending to uh, be cruel or inconsiderate, they become cruel and inconsiderate, or people feel that way. And uh, um, it's, it, you know, it's, I think Nathan uh, Nathaniel uh, is, um, he's so aware and he's so thoughtful about everything, but there is this uh, uh, um, kind of a, a lack of empathy i guess isn't there a lack of consideration right uh which some people find I, I in a weird way i kind of um envied how like cool he was about everything because he, he never gets hurt he never gets wounded he never has like uh uh there's a moment of longing mm-hmm. at the end when he's talking about having met hannah again um which you know wouldn't it be nice to all go through life without feeling any sort of pain right right no. i mean I think I think this is is really interesting. We were talking about this a little earlier that 
I feel like from Hannah's perspective, Nate really is that invulnerable. He he has. I wrote the book in part because I wanted to explore this type of male behavior, but I empathized with with Hannah, who, for those of you who haven't read the book, she's a woman Nate dates for much of the book, and. Um, and I think in a lot of ways she has more emotionally at stake in their relationship than he does. And that's that's frustrating and, and painful for her at times. But so in in the course of that relationship, there's a way in which Nate seems invulnerable. And and I don't actually think that all men are generally invulnerable, or that even Nate is invulnerable throughout his dating life. And yet I think there's a certain truth there that in a particular relationship one person might have more vulnerability than the other, and and that is very consequential. Um, that Nate, and sometimes the power dynamic is just self-perpetuating. When when one person feels the other one's vulnerability, it's and it, it doesn't have to be the man who is the powerful one. And we've mm. the Five Hundred Days of sure. Summer is a great example of the reverse situation where where it's. Well, yeah, man, let me ask you a question. What did Hannah dig about Nathaniel? That he went to Harvard? Well, if you're a cynic, I guess. I um, mean, no, I don't know. I want to know. Um, I thought, I I, tra- I really wanted them to have a nice rapport early on. That that initially, initially Nate isn't particularly drawn to her until they have a few dates where they, they click, they laugh, they talk until late into the night. And I think for women, that, that can go a long way, that sense of connecting on some sort of emotional intellectual level that mm-hmm. I think she's not drawn to his relative professional success because he's he's a little more successful than than she is she, but he's not he's not like some superstar he's just he's just a writer guy in New York but he's got a book contract she doesn't but but I so I don't think it's his success I, I think she sort of genuinely likes their rapport and maybe is a little more hungry for that kind of rapport in her life than he is mm-hmm. like he like he enjoys it but he can clearly live without it as well <laughs> <laughs> right um what is it that's an interesting thing it's and it's what, what's great about uh, what you can do in a novel and it's a little bit diff- more difficult to to parse it in a film uh is find the inflections in the tiny moments and talk about the tiny moments where people drift together and drift apart because it's it's i mean it's fascinating how that happens how people fall for each other and how people are having entirely unique experiences while being in the same moment right you know it's like even when you're in love it's still different right right um yeah and i thought for me it was really interesting to do this book where i wanted the reader to feel for not just Hannah, but some of the other women in the book, but to stay entirely in Nate's head. And, and that's a sort of neat trick to do it through dialogue mm. or, in one case, to have an email that was written um, that from Hannah's perspective to try to convey that just because one person's experience is one way, that, that this is feeling completely different for someone else. I did, we were talking earlier, I love, this is slightly different, but it's related, but, but I loved it. In 500 Days of Summer, there's a sequence where the Summer and Tom have broken up, but Tom goes to a party at Summer's house, and he, he wants to get back together. So he's he's imagining what's going to happen at this party, and um, you've got a split screen with his, it's called expectation versus reality, and 
and the expectation he and Summer are chatting and she's like looking up at him with big eyes and laughing I'm like oh you're so and, and then and it culminates with them making out right or just yeah, being on one to. side of the screen yeah. right on the other on side on the expectation the side yeah. on the reality side she is um, talking to other people talking to a guy, another guy in particular showing a an engagement ring mm. that is clearly coming from someone <laughs> He's not Tom. <laughs> yeah. um, and I feel like that, in that case, I guess that was a way of, of really, it's, you're talking about Tom's experience. It's one person's experience, but the... Yeah. And the movie is about, it's, it is about fantasy and how, and how those expectations can, they can motivate you. They can compel you. They can move you forward. They can be really wonderful. They, we want to live towards something, move towards something. But they can also fucking rip your heart out, right? And uh, and but again, it speaks to that that the divergence between you know these the, there are these I, I'm confounded by it constantly, and it doesn't it applies to things beyond romance where you feel like you're having this shared experience, and there are moments where you can, but then people have their persona that they've 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 conjured and, and, and cultivated and you're interacting with a shell sometimes it seems like and then all of a sudden you know even though you've born you've, you you bear your soul it's something that Nathaniel you know and it's sort of the tragic part of his character is that he doesn't he's incapable even though he has a great internal life which I don't sometimes I don't know if it's the author commenting on his psychology or it's his psychology itself but it's like it's this wonderful rich uh you know um thoughtful uh, parsing of details but he never reveals himself to anybody and and right. I think that's going to that will make him that that's the tragedy of him in a way I think he won't ever feel probably the 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 I don't know if he's been seeking or craving that connection right right um I know it's tricky. I mean, I think there's there's something that there's maybe a a novel like a trick of a novelist. Or I I made I made Nate be I think really observant and analytical about other people, in part because I thought that felt true to his character. Mm-hmm. But in another way, because I thought that made the book more interesting to read. If I was going to be locked in his head the whole time, if he was a really like dense, unthoughtful person. Like the, his his thoughts wouldn't be interesting enough to hold the book, and I sort of told myself it has to all stay in his head. Like I didn't I didn't want to do a chapter from Hannah's perspective. It's just some of that seemed too easy. It's exactly what we did at Five Hundred Days of Summer. Was we restricted the point of view, and people like mm-hmm. kind of I think misunderstood it in a certain way, or it made it, it made, gave a very specific experience to the audience. And like I remember getting a lot of criticism uh, after. The, I mean, it was you know we, it was, people generally liked the movie. I think, but there was I remember all of us. It was written by men. It was, uh, you know, we all it was a bunch of dudes that came up with it, um, and but we were like there was this. Well, you were incurious about the inner life of the female. Was a, a mm-hmm. it's a term that floats around my head because I was it really hurt because 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 yeah. it was like because the, the reality is that's what the movie was about. Right. It was about his lack of understanding of that, and that's what kind of was the downfall of the relationship in some way. Right. Right. And no, and that kind of thing, I think I understand that hurts. I I definitely I still remember this review from a small literary magazine, but it it said. Nathaniel P. That that it did women a disservice because Nate thinks all these critical thoughts about women, and that like I owed my next book to the sisterhood was the last line. And I sort of felt like, did you think I was endorsing all of his? Were they were they in Portlandia? I think they were in Portlandia. 
But it gets it gets to you when it's your intention, yeah, is to highlight the very thing you're being criticized for. But do you think hmm. do you think that um Tom becomes Nathaniel P that that it's like that Tom he starts out he's sort of he's young he's idealistic you mean after the movie yeah that that like after you know a couple of relationships later Oof. or is that too no, cynical that's, no I don't think so I think okay, he I, I think he grows <laughs> grows from it I don't know <laughs> uh, yeah he um, uh, no I think he's I think he is an um, an uncynical guy and a cynical he's craving he doesn't he grows from that he takes and it's what you have to do when you suffer you know uh is you 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 build on that you'd learn from that you grow from that hopefully if you have some um right. some good influences in your life that 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 that's ideal i mean it can i mean i mean madame bovary gets all you know she eats a handful and it doesn't work out for her so well. Um, but there's no one there to like, she doesn't have a little sister who's wise. Right. But see, I guess I almost mean, I, I'm thinking of Tom as a sympathetic, as a, as a sweet, idealistic mm-hmm. young man who, I guess my thought with Nathaniel P is he was a little more like Tom when he was younger, when he felt like he had less power relative to women. Mm-hmm. And women were more unavailable when he felt like the world was full of summers who he wanted more than they wanted him. Mm-hmm. And then after being hurt a few times, as he got older, when he started to feel he had more power relatively, right. it not a conscious desire for revenge, but, but um, you know, and again, this is not an attack on Tom per se. I don't, I don't mm-hmm. really want to tar him with can, the NLP label because him. it's pretty, you know, he can harsh handle one. It. Um, but, but I think that, I, I guess, in some generic sense, I would just wonder if that, that's there isn't a trajectory that sometimes happens well, with a young men who have less power relative to women being sort of sweet mm-hmm. and then turning into monsters in their thirties. <laughs> I mean, just a I don't lot. know where you got that from. <laughs> Uh, I think that's a very typical pattern uh, where people feel, I mean, you, you, listen, it's an expensive thing to get, um, to expose yourself. It can cause enormous uh, uh, suffering and like, and you want to protect yourself from that. Absolutely. But like the, the, in, and it's not talked about in, or it's not explored that much in movies and literature, really. Um, love stories have a sort of a the wedge between lovers is often like i mean in, in, in movies there's a high concept like oh he's dressed as a woman but it's actually a man and like there's like it's a kind of thing that a conversation can sort of defang the conflict um but but um i think with i think that the actual difficulties of of compatibility uh are much more difficult to explore um right. and and I do, but I do think that, um, I mean, I think Tom, I think a lot of it comes down to having examples and having people around you who, who live beyond that, who are, who are uncynical and having, like, reading about books and having, having experiences, even, experiences, even if they're virtual, even if they're vicarious, mm-hmm. where you don't surrender to a sort of more cynical attitude. Right. However, you don't also want to approach the world with a sort of naive, uh, response or naive expectation of what romance is. I mean, to me, when, like Tom was, um, 
Tom's relationship with romance was really laziness. Like, he just wanted this woman to come in and solve all his fucking problems. Right. But he didn't have a job that he liked. He doesn't fully actualize in any sort of real way. He, and he sort of was stifled, and he just thought, oh, well, this girl, like, uh, you know, the, the theme of the movie, which we talked about, was like, happiness lies within, not in the big blue eyes of the girl in the cubicle down the hall. That was like kind of our mantra. And it was a guideline. It's not, it didn't come up in every scene. Right. But um, I do think that, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very important, uh, difficult lesson to learn along the way right right and i do think i mean to be clear i I sort of feel like i'm being a little provocative i don't i don't think the problems with relationships are are due to one gender or another that that i think the, Hmm. the deeper thing is is compatibility and it's us also relationships are really hard that there's this the way that we live now and which i think is by and large a better way than the way that our grandparents probably lived where they they got married at a younger age based on less information and sometimes that worked out but oftentimes it didn't work out so well I, I do think it's better now but but we spend so many years of our, our lives having these these types of relationships that just didn't exist for much of mm-hmm. history and and then dealing with these breakups that are that can be devastating and painful and yet I think as a culture we tend to treat dating as somewhat frivolous as, as something for sort of romantic comedies that are fun and escapist or sort of chicklity books that are also sort of escapist but but it's actually like quite a serious subject this is it, it's a challenge that that we spend years of our life dealing with that have sort of deep emotional consequences and I don't know. I, I I do think it's it's. I, I don't really think that it's just like God. Men are such jerks. <laughs> so that's part of it. That's just the part. Yeah, women are too. We all are. True. It's <laughs> gender non-specific. Should we take some uh, questions? You guys have any thoughts, ideas? about whether whether the women in in the book tend to get maybe attached too quickly or do expect too much from from a man and then you know that causes some of some of the problems as well whether whether Nathaniel P isn't isn't the sole author of every other person's unhappiness I'm paraphrasing um I felt like for me in writing the book it was really really important to be sort of unsparing about the women as well as the men. And because I felt like if I, as a woman, wrote this book, where Nathaniel P is, you know, a not terrible but flawed character, but if I made all the women these, like, beautiful, intelligent, wonderful, thoughtful, mature people, it just wouldn't ring true to the experience of men. And they would just say, like, this is just this bitter woman who's just... You know, I, I felt like I wanted to present women the way I thought Nathaniel P. would see them. And I, it doesn't mean I endorse everything he says about them, but I think there's always some truth in his, in his sense of being a bit suffocated or 
the, the situation that you brought up with the pregnancy in the beginning where Nate has, runs into an ex-girlfriend who, 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 and actually an ex-girlfriend is itself not probably the most accurate term. Someone he went out with four or five times, she got pregnant, and I feel like it's a very modern situation, and she got an abortion. They both wanted that, but it's like, what? where does that leave them? What do they owe each other? What obligations are there? And I feel like that's very unclear culturally. It's it's just a strange situation for everyone, and I feel like it is strange for, for Nate. It's not like he did this for fun and is laughing at her. Um, and you know, I think it's I think it's complicated. I, I do have some sympathy for for women being for the women in this case. I guess I have sympathy for both women or men who are overly vulnerable at times. Like I think we all might have a tendency to measure the right amount of vulnerability with the other person's level of vulnerability. So anytime someone shows is more vulnerable and gets hurt, we sort of wanna we wanna blame them a little bit. We wanna say like, oh, but they expected too much or they were too just they were too too vulnerable they should have been otherwise like like I think we tend to want to side on the person with more power sometimes and and I didn't want to do that like I think it's 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 okay for to to sort of humiliate yourself a little there's one woman in the book who writes an email to Nate that's like an email that everyone reading the book probably knows she shouldn't have written it or she shouldn't have sent it <laughs> writing it is fine it's just not going to get the response she wants Nate's not going to read it and be like Right, she's right. I these are like I now see the error of my ways. I want to go back and and you know tell her like I, let's try this again and this time I'm going to work harder. <laughs> like it's not going to happen. He's just going to read it and be like, oh god. Um, but I have sympathy for for her doing that. I I feel like sometimes doing the thing that's not that's not the cool pragmatic thing um, is. You can fall flat on your face, but we just wouldn't wouldn't want a world in which the worst possible thing was to be embarrassed by carrying a little too much. Yeah, I thought that was yeah. I mean, th- that the letter is a really it's an interesting moment, and never. I, I think everybody, I would guess, everybody except for maybe you, <laughs> have written a letter like that at some point. More than I, I like, and sending that is is uh, completely inadvisable, stupid. But who doesn't like if you don't. If you don't engage in that sort of profound stupidity, you don't learn from that. Right. And then you, and also like that, that I mean, that's, that's Tom, the same kind of thing. And, and like, it's also makes you, there's something very truthful about it, weirdly. And like, you got it, like, listen, that, that, that kind of behavior can become um, very dangerous, frankly, if, and it can, it can, it can be a source of intimidation. And, and um, there's, a, there is a very dark side to, um, what can become obsession and stuff, right. but um, but that doesn't. I mean, writing a, a mean letter and telling him he was bad in bed is just kind of funny. And like, uh, um, right. And 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 like, you get through that stuff, and then when you when, after you've done that, you really you're so embarrassed. Hopefully, that right. you Don't do that anymore. <laughs> right, right. Um, there is an upside of shame. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Not really. It's funny. I would say one of my biggest criticisms of Nathaniel P. as a as a human being, not that I actually think he's a real person, um, not something weird, is that that I think that he he just isn't. He's he thinks a lot. He has a conscience. He thinks about what the other person expects, and he tries to justify his behavior. But he's not always 
the most empathetic or the kindest. And in some ways, it's related to the fact that he's not that that vulnerable. He's not doesn't have that much at stake. And I think something we were talking about earlier is is that it felt like the way in which I feel like Nate was different from you is that that in your dating life, not to bring it to that, but I, but I think that you felt like there was more at stake. And I, and I think that's true. I mean, I think one way in which the NOP does not represent men in general, as I, I think and hope most men feel like they can relate to aspects of, of Nate, but also tend to feel like that, that there is more at stake, that this yeah. isn't a matter of indifference. Yeah, he's never, it's, it, and, and all men are different. Everybody's, there, there is no such thing as the universal, like there's only like particular people who have their own um, experiences and stuff. But there is this, yeah, I think a lot of, a lot of men, uh, thankfully, uh, experience a sense of longing in their life or experience a sense of, of being exposed or being hurt or being wounded. Um, and that it can, like we were talking about before, it can it can kind of, it can unwind you. It can make you callous and cruel, uh, bitter, uh, or it can make you more empathetic. And and he just didn't, doesn't seem to have risked that or had that experience. And it creates a, a, a kind of profound lack of tenderness, right? And and which I don't think will serve him in the long run. You know what I mean? Like I think he, 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 he there will be a perpetual dissatisfaction. I think um, that's just starting with the the purgatory of Greer. <laughs> right, right. I love that. I actually, I agree completely. Which is not actually normally the case for me. It's it's a you know I, one feels so protective of, of your own thing that you create. But I I use the word tenderness often when I talk about Nathaniel P. Is that but I think he he's lacking and and I do think it it will come back to hurt him in this way, but it's not necessarily in this obvious way. Like I didn't want to write a book where in the end all his ex girlfriends gang up and kidnap him and <laughs> just teach him the earth. It's a good movie pitch, by the way. <laughs> Welcome to Hollywood. Right. Um, something to keep in mind. Should we yeah. other questions? Um, I know there's been a lot of comparisons made to um, Jane Austen with the book, and I feel like that's a comparison that's made about any relationship book, but <laughs> I've, read, I've read it, and to me, it, it rings true because I feel like there's a precision to the way you kind of track every relationship in the book between every single male and female, and I'm just I'm wondering if that was a conscious decision at all, um, that you wanted to do something that's somewhat of a modern relationship sort of, sort of global look at relationships today right the way she did. right I mean I would say definitely definitely in this one sense that I feel like what Jane Austen did is is take what we call dating what she called courtship very seriously and treat it in this way that you have to be there are these people but they're idiots who think Jane Austen is chiclet like you're just <laughs> you're just missing so much of the the wit and the irony and the nuance and and I feel like she just wrote serious, I mean, often funny, but in another sense, serious books that took dating seriously. And that, that was very much an inspiration for me. I, you know, I, I didn't want, and I, I, in my 20s, I read a lot of 19th century books, and they're still the books that are, tend to be closest to my heart. That was a mixed thing when I set about in my 30s to try to, to write novels, because I didn't want to 
consciously imitate a 19th century novelist in this way that would just sound pretentious and ridiculous, like to use that language, you know, just, we live differently. I wanted to write a novel in which the characters have sex with each other and that doesn't mean that they're prostitutes and, you know, like, um, and, and, you know, to speak like contemporary people, but, but, I mean, thank you for that question because I, you know, I'm, I'm deeply flattered by that because what I, you know, what I did want was to just, to write seriously about a subject that I feel like it's worth writing seriously about. I completely adore the book. I just started reading it like two days ago. And I love it. Oh, thanks. Um, is it in talks to be made into movie? Yes. Yes. I so when I I feel I think. I think there are people probably in the room who, who actually could speak to it better than, than I can. I have to say, the I empathize with the screenwriter because I think it would be a huge challenge because the book is really internal in a lot of ways. It's it's just it's all in Nate's head and I have I have such respect for, for what you do. I mean one of the reasons I love that that sequence in Five Hundred Days of Summer with the expectations versus reality is it's just a clever way to use the tools that film offers to just convey something sort of rich and interesting and psychological. And I feel like <laughs> to, I can't even admit, I, I could never write the screenplay. It took me five years to write the novel version and I did have access to the character's thoughts, but um, yeah, it's... It's a tricky, it'll be a tricky adaptation. The... the um, the, I was just there's a podcast the uh, the BAFTA po- podcast I don't know if you guys have uh, heard it but Charlie Kaufman was talking about uh, adapting different kinds of novels and he talked a little bit about the, that that uh, how tricky that is and he talked a lot about internal life but it's 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 kind of impossible in some ways to conjure a specific idea of what's going on inside somebody's head because you're interpreting it through people's behavior and face and like and it means so many different things to different people and it and it, and it's it can get reductive really quickly right right it's just a, it's just a different different experience right and i i mean i tend to think like some of this book like the most climactic moments this can make the book sound really boring for those of you who haven't read it but they're they're these really small things like nate thinking critically about his girlfriend's like arms um, and it's it's like a profoundly disturbing moment I think when you read it but nothing happens he doesn't say anything he just thinks this mean thought about the person he's with and I'm like yeah good luck translating that I guess the camera could pan in on her arms but that wasn't really mean I, I don't know but then yeah but that, it takes out the elegant kind of uh, yeah the, the nature of the, the how quickly it molds from one thought into another and right right Right, because he thinks the thought and then feels guilty in the next moment. It's not, you know, it's complicated. Yeah. I think we all think a lot of mean thoughts, or at least I do sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes? I think the reviews I read sort of looked at the end and like hands up with a higher status woman, and it really kind of pissed me off, because I thought he lost his chance to have a deeper relationship with somebody who could actually be his equal, and that he was kind of... Mm-hmm. Settling for assuaging his ego again, not like going for the prize. I wonder what you thought. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Sometimes I go back and forth about how much I reveal about what I think or don't, or what's a good idea. But I'm gonna, I'm just be really candid because 
I can't help it at this moment because yes, I completely agree with you. I disagree with the reviewers who say that. Um, but but I wanted I wanted the book to feel really realistic in the ending, so I didn't I didn't want to. I wanted it to seem like the kind of thing that could happen in life that the person the character winds up with is is just someone a guy like him might wind up with who's not like some crazy ridiculous bimbo that just was like a punishment for him like making him look foolish I, so I felt like it, it was I wanted it to ring true I personally have some judgments about that that might that are similar to your judgments but I did want it to be left open enough that people could interpret the same sort of set of facts differently just like when I mean we all have people in our lives you wind up with with someone we can read those relationships really differently um is, is this you know is this the right person do they bring out the right stuff in one another like I might think that my brother is married to the wrong person I was hypothetical he's <laughs> not here I should um but you know that 